Welcome back to the week two waiver wire preview. You know we are truly back whenever we're discussing big picture waiver pickups ahead of week two of the regular season. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. I will be doing this preview pod for the waiver wire column that is available on 44.com every single Monday at halftime if you would like to join us live for a potential Q&A as we go along. For everyone in the chat, you are seeing the column that will go live every Monday afternoon. I'll get the player notes, a couple other things I'll add since I have through Wednesday morning to continue editing for news and maybe questions we get in our Discord Q&A every Tuesday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern. But nonetheless, we are here because and for this column. And I would love to get started, and we can only get started because of our good friends at Sleeper. Reminder that Sleeper is one of the fastest-growing, customizable fantasy football platforms in the industry, and it's all available by heading to sleeper.com and downloading the app. And if you were to do so, you would likely use the app to pick up the Sleeper Waiver Edition of the Week. And that this week, it is none other than Jeff Wilson, who I know a lot of you will hear as a potential fill-in over the next two months. That's what the reported injury is for Elijah Mitchell as it stands. It is slightly concerning, admittedly, because this is not the same situation as last year. On one hand, we have... Elijah Mitchell vacating the 100% of red zone running back carries he handled and the 12 full games he played last year that he didn't leave due to injury. He handled 92% of the team's overall running back carries actually in those 12 games as well. But it's a different offense, right? Because we have Trey Lance under center. Trey Lance, who we've now seen three career starts with the Niners, have 12, 12, and then in week one, 13 carries. We also saw when Elijah Mitchell, who was already on his way to leading this backfield and carries yet again in week one, six for 41 rushing yards prior to that knee injury. We saw once he left, carries in order went Jeff Trey Lance with 11, Jeff Wilson with 10, and Debo Samuel with six. So it's actually possible that, yes, Jeff Wilson leads all the running back and carries. Jordan Mason was actually active on Sunday and still didn't play an offensive snap. They just used both Samuel and Wilson as the running back, de facto running backs. But overall, knowing we can just swap in shallower leagues, at least that don't have IR slots, knowing it's possible to swap Jeff Wilson for, or Elijah Mitchell, drop him for Jeff Wilson. That's the way I lean right now, again, for shallower leagues. Now, some of you are here because you're playing on sleeper in deeper leagues. Let's say 20 round leagues. You have deeper benches. And like everyone usually says, oh, Jeff Wilson's not available in my league. Doesn't seem like anyone's available in anyone's league. So I don't even know why we're doing this. But if you play on sleeper in 20-round leagues, I have a sleeper sleeper of the week. And that is Kyle Phillips. Because what started, admittedly as a one-off suggestion by the great J.J. Zacharyson, late-round quarterback himself, in his rookie guide who joined the 4 for 4 podcast, if you recall, in late March with 4 for 4s or Dynasty Football League's Ryan McDowell, they threw out rookie suggestions in the later rounds. A player you want to throw a dart at in the last round of Dynasty startups, Dynasty rookie drafts. And J.J. Zacharyson actually mentioned Kyle Phillips. And I think we both, we both kind of laughed at it, knowing that, sure, maybe this little fifth-round slot receiver 
a lot of things have to go right for Kyle Phillips to end up in our lineups, not just in Dynasty. And stashing him, that's fine. But for redraft leagues, especially with a, a first-round capital wide receiver and Traylon Burks, a lot has to go right. But I'll be damned if I'm not here saying I think Kyle Phillips is an amazing pickup and someone that I'm probably prioritizing in deeper 20-round leagues as a redraft flex option moving forward. We not only know that Kyle Phillips led the Titans in targets and target share, 27%, but per Pro Football Focus's Nathan Yonke, Kyle Phillips also led every receiver on Sunday who ran at least 20 routes in targets per route run rate, 43%, a whopping number considering Kyle Phillips ran 25 routes. But that 25 route number is also important because Robert Woods led the team with 30 routes. Thus, there's actually meat on the bone. And remember, Mike Vrabel's scheme, for better or worse, does not cater to talent. You better cater to Mike Vrabel. So that's why A.J. Brown never saw 106 targets in any season with the Titans. And that's why I truly believe Kyle Phillips can lead the Titans in targets. Maybe not for talent, even though he's proving he's a very talented route runner who can get open, but maybe he just runs the scheme better. And although Traylon Burks is the sexier, very much option, the more elite athletic profile, recall Traylon Burks is also the more volatile, flimsy profile too. So we have question marks about Traylon Burks, who I think is also, if he's available in shallower leagues, a fine pickup. But I've actually gotten a lot higher on Kyle Phillips for redraft leagues, and I genuinely never thought we'd be here. So reminder, to pick those two players up, sleeper.com, download the latest app today. I also want to talk about a few other situations for waiver wire this week. And one is the touch and go scenarios that are happening with one, the Chargers offense and two, the Cardinals offense. Let's start with the Chargers because we know that Keenan Allen has a hamstring injury and we have a short turnaround on Thursday night against the Chiefs. And recall the last three games, these two teams have played against one another. They've combined for 59, 54, and 62 points. We want players in this game in particular. We want players in this game as wide receiver threes, as flex options. They're all viable. And when you look at who can take over for Keenan Allen, the first best guess is obviously Josh Palmer. He played 75% of snaps this past week. But if you look in the box score, it was actually DeAndre Carter who won essentially a quarter of the team snaps. Once Keenan Allen left the field, still out-targeted Palmer, 4-2, to two, and did score that touchdown. Had better production in the box score than Josh Palmer. I still personally think, knowing what Palmer accomplished last year, and it was only one start, mind you, but the one game he played without Keenan Allen, I still think Josh Palmer is the better pickup in leagues where that's applicable in leagues where he's available. But in, in deeper leagues, FFPC leagues, let's say, of course I'm picking up DeAndre Carter because there's this opportunity there and we don't know what's going to happen. And DeAndre Carter profiles arguably as the better, not possession receiver, not the better athlete over Palmer, but as the better deep threat, as a guy who can play over Jalen Guyton, which is basically what they did last week and only running Guyton out there for one route. DeAndre Carter is that guy who can mix in intermittently as the Chargers' number two or three receiver. If you ask me to pick one who actually wins the battle to soak up Keenan Allen's opportunity, I think it's Gerald Everett, 
who is in the waiver wire column and is available in a lot of shallower leagues. My number one tight end pickup, actually. But don't be afraid of DeAndre Carter in deeper leagues and Josh Palmer in shallower leagues because we definitely want the player here who takes on Keenan Allen's role. And as someone who battled injuries already in much deeper leagues and had to start, for instance, A.J. Green, and I know people were in worse situations than that, but I had to start A.J. Green in a deeper main event league last week due to injuries in my roster. Of course, I'll take DeAndre Carter in that league. I would love DeAndre Carter, even as a one-week plug-and-play option. Speaking of A.J. Green, we are also faced with a situation right now in Rondell Moore and Greg Dortch. I've tried not to laugh when I say his name. What we saw was Greg Dortch being an integral part of the Cardinals' offense, leading the team in targets and target share, and also running 44 routes, as many as Marquise Brown. So what we're now asking with Rondo Moore basically left up in the air, potentially practicing on Wednesday. We don't know yet what's going to happen with the situation, but we have to attack waiver wires as if we know. And if we're doing that, I am attacking Greg Dortch, who was, again, arguably the focal point of the offense. I'll gladly pick him up. I'll gladly play him in a good matchup against the Raiders as a wide receiver four, wide receiver four flex option. But let's say Rondo Moore comes back. What happens? Because we also know Greg Dortch played 83% of his routes from the slot this past week. He did start in two wide sets over A.J. Green, but he played a majority of his routes from the slot. So if Rondo Moore comes back, are we pushing Dortch out to the boundary and thus taking A.J. Green off the field? Or is Cliff Kingsbury taking Dortch off the field altogether, leaving A.J. Green on the boundary and putting more in the slot? Because if Moore and Dortch are on the field together in week two, that to me is more of a conundrum, knowing that Kyler Murray already showed us, for whatever reason, he will trust Dortch. And that's where I'm at with this situation. I'm monitoring it closely. Updates will be in the waiver wire. But if you told me to lean one direction, because you have to lean one direction on Tuesday night, I'm leaning towards Dortch, assuming Rondell Moore won't play. And I have no problems, again, picking up Dortch as a one-week, two-week flyer, wide receiver four, flex option. Another conundrum that I think everyone's facing on waiver wires, especially in shower leagues, because I'm a man of the people. I play in deeper leagues. I play in shower leagues. I play in them all, and I write about them all at 4 for 4. A lot of people are faced with the issue of picking up either Jahan Dotson or Curtis Samuel. And what we saw was... John Dotson run just two fewer routes than Terry McLaurin, 49-47. to 47. And just like the preseason, start and stay in on two wide sets. We know Dotson's a starter there. What we did not think was going to happen was Curtis Samuel playing just five fewer routes than Dotson as the team's number three receiver with no competition for that role. But more importantly, leading the team in targets with 11 and having four carries. This is the Curtis Samuel, akin to the Curtis Samuel of 2020, who finished second among all wide receivers in raw touches behind Stephon Diggs. That's how they use this player. The five-yard depth to target is not sexy. But Curtis Samuel now, I would argue has a higher floor weekly than Jahan Dotson. 
given that Dotson, still one of the best pure route runners in this class, still has first-round draft capital, still in two wide sets, yes. But Jahan Dotson is still just your typical receiver running the second-most routes on his own team. And as you saw this past week, four targets got by on two touchdowns, which is an amazing accomplishment. But I would argue Curtis Samuels actually has the higher floor. And now we see that not only leading Washington, we don't think it's going to happen, right? But leading Washington, or at least finishing top two in targets on this team, plus being a top two wide receiver in carries in the league, is now in Curtis Samuels' range of outcomes. So if you told me to pick one, I actually pick Curtis Samuel over Dotson because I don't think Dotson outperformed Terry McLaurin weekly, but at least Washington's coaching staff and Scott Turner in particular are showing us they're never going to let Curtis Samuel go away. They're concertedly scheming him touches for however long he's healthy. I know that's the running joke, right? However long he's healthy. But however long he's healthy, I think I actually prefer Curtis Samuel over Jahan Dotson, unpopular opinion. Another issue you'll probably run into on waiver wires this week is what to do with the number three tight end in fantasy, Taysom Hill. We know we can skip O.J. Howard, the number two tight end in fantasy. Maybe Howard, I shouldn't rule him out completely because in deeper tight end premium leagues, sure. Why the hell not? I've picked up worse players than O.J. Howard. But we know he was the number two tight end on those two touchdowns on just 17 snaps and five routes. So maybe the usage grows, right? But it's something I'm not betting on, especially because Brevin Jordan still led their, led their tight ends and routes run, Houston's, and Farrell Brown was still involved running routes himself. Farrell Brown in particular ran 16 routes to Brevin Jordan's 25. So a three-headed committee that may get O.J. Howard involved more, but not a situation I want to be the sucker in in my league. Sure, a couple dollars, but don't want to be the sucker with that situation. Having said that, Taysom Hill, ask yourself, do you want his sprinkling of carries per week, sprinkling of touches inside the 10-yard line, and he even ran four routes and had a target this past game? Is that handful of offensive snaps better than 20 other tight ends we're considering over him running routes. Let's say Evan Ingram, for instance. I think Taysom Hill versus Evan Ingram is a real question. Not in tight end premium. You can probably play it safe and go Evan Ingram. Ingram, of course, who ran 40 routes on Trevor Lawrence's 50 dropbacks this past week as essentially an every down option. That's what we saw in the preseason too was Evan Ingram being an every-down option with Trevor Lawrence. But in your typical half-point, I have to start a tight end, so just get me a guy off waivers, league. Why wouldn't you play Taysom Hill over an Evan Ingram? Jailed Everett makes the case for himself this week, as we mentioned. He ran the second-most routes for the Chargers whenever Keelan Allen went off the field. Gerald Everett also this past week, 2.3 yards per route run, a predictive metric. This is what we want, especially from a player like Herbert. So Everett, with this additional opportunity in the short term, in place of Keenan Allen, I want that over Taysom Hill personally, especially, again, in the short term, a shootout against the Chiefs. But if you tell me Evan Ingram, Hayden Hurst, Tyler Conklin, we'll get there. Uh, Juwan Johnson, 
was pretty sneaky, actually. Juwan Johnson actually ran 33 routes on Jameis Winston's 42 dropbacks. These players were trying to pick up off waivers over Taysom Hill. You know, in your typical league, I start Taysom Hill. And that's where I'm at. I am considering him a top 10 tight end. And I'll probably play it by matchups. But also in a matchup against the Bucs, I think he's a pretty important player. So I do want to start him at tight end over some names you'll commonly hear talked about over him. I quickly also want to get some deep cuts before we get out of here as we continue previewing the waiver wire column on 4 for 4. We'll continue to be updated through Wednesday, and I'll be joining you here for a preview and talking about what I think the most important discussions to have around waivers every single week. I'll be here every Monday night at halftime. But some deep cuts for you. Johnny Munt actually outsnapped Irv Smith 40 to 19. Johnny Munt, who I understand people didn't even realize was on the Vikings roster, myself included. And when Kevin O'Connell was asked about the situation, he said, Our guys know it's a game to game, week to week plan. He didn't mention Irv Smith's recovery or injury, leading beat reporters there to suggest actually, like, this was game plan induced. I don't believe that just yet. That to me is the definition of overreaction Monday is thinking Johnny Munt is part of the game plan, but as the better blocking tight end, maybe he was. Maybe they actually weren't so much worried about Irv Smith's recovery than they were Johnny Smith, Johnny Munt fitting the blueprint. Just something to note, Irv Smith's available on Yahoo in particular, 30-plus percent of leagues. Not sure he's someone I'm running out to get, but just be aware in case you were planning on starting him this upcoming week against the Eagles. Eno Benjamin played 22 offensive snaps to Darrell Williams zero, and both were active on Sunday. I think the fact that they pretty much ran James Conner out there as an every down option into the fourth quarter, and only then put Eno Benjamin in, is the proof we need, the evidence we need to know that Eno Benjamin is the guy we should pick up as a contingency option, not Darrell Williams. I think we now know that's the player we have, and as everyone knows who follows the waiver column, I have a contingency top 10. I put it at the bottom and I sort it weekly. I adjust it weekly for the best contingency stashes, players I don't believe have, have value as long as the starter is ahead of them and I rank them accordingly. Eno Benjamin is ranked in that list. Tyler Conklin, I teased the Conk Daddy, as Roto Pat would say, because there were reports in camp. He had a rapport with Joe Flacco. And I'll be damned if Tyler Conklin didn't run 54 routes on Joe Flacco's 66 dropbacks, see seven targets on top of that elite 82% route participation rate. That's incredible. That's not just tight end premium FFPC 20 round league tight end, right? That's a starting tight end in 12 team 16 round leagues. Especially since we predict and project the Jets to be a negative game script perpetually for as long as Joe Flacco is under center. So Tyler Conklin, I think also an amazing pickup. There are some questions, for instance, at the top here, we have Ari asking about Devin DuVernay. And I touched on a few of these players, but Devin DuVernay is interesting in that 
if you look at Sports Info Solutions, they charted it as no team passing from 11 personnel at a lower rate than the Ravens in week one because we know they healthy scratched Nick Boyle dust to get Isaiah Lucky, likely, Isaiah Likely, who was not lucky, involved more in 21 personnel. I don't know if this changes or not if J.K. Dobbins is healthy in week two, but that was their game plan all along. What we saw, even though they were basically running only two wide receivers out there, was Devin DuVernay had the two touchdowns, but Devin DuVernay also run as many routes as Demarcus Robinson, 18 apiece. And so, on one hand, the production could lead DuVernay to permanently be the team's number two wide receiver. That's probably the best option here. But then you also have to ask, do we really think DuVernay is going to carry himself weekly over Rashad Bateman, over Mark Andrews, who basically didn't even get involved until the second half? And then you have to say, is there room for a third option? We were already struggling to give Isaiah likely targets as the team's third option. What do we do with Devin DuVernay? So in deeper leagues, deeper benches, I'm fine with it. But I actually don't think he's going to be someone I chase because it's hard to squeeze him targets if we believe in Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews. If you don't believe in Rashad Bateman, you should be higher on Devin DuVernay. Sonny Michelle handled the second most carries behind Austin Eckler, 15-7. to The issue is that He's still the Sony Michelle he showed us at the end of last year with 1.7 yards per carry and less than two yards after contact per attempt. So the issue isn't who is the player we're picking up as the backup behind Austin Eckler. The issue is right now it's Sony Michelle, but can he hold off Isaiah Spiller when Spiller's given snaps? Spiller didn't play snaps this past week, but a couple weeks post-angle injury, we expect him to. Then does Sony Michelle hold him off, right? Joshua Kelly. Joshua freaking Kelly was even more explosive in every elusive metric you look at. Missed tackles force included over Sony Michelle. So that's the concern is, I don't think I want to pick up Sony Michelle right now as Eckler's contingency option, knowing that the contingency option can't hold the others off. That's what I worry about at this time. And then finally, there is a... Question about Giants wide receivers in the chat. And I just want to leave everyone in noting that Richie James tied Kenny Galladay for the team high in routes run. Sterling Shepard was third with 20 routes to run. And that's the player I want to believe in personally for deeper leagues. Remember, Sterling Shepard last year in every game he played with Kadarius Tony, he finished with Kadarius Tony actually out-targeted Tony in every game. Shepard still got it. It doesn't seem like it, but he still does. So in deeper leagues, I do want to be higher on Shepard than Richie James. I know I'm not going out on a limb there. But then we're also asking, what the hell happened with Tony? Just three snaps this past week. And my good friend, Ian Hart, it's a pro football focus. He had the video of Tony, and you can see that Tony was actually just as explosive as he was in weeks four through six last year. And the couple of short targets and sweeps he got this past week. But then he was immediately ripped off the field and put back on the bench. Don't know why. Don't know anything going behind the scenes there. So then we also have to ask ourselves, okay, if we pick up Sterling Shepard, knowing the Giants are going to throw a lot, 
Saquon Barkley, of course, led the team in routes run overall. Just led the routes run. Wouldn't be shocking if he led the team in targets at this rate. But we then have to ask, is Tony more involved? And that's a question I don't know if anyone, Pat Leonard, Jordan Renan, I don't know if anyone right now locked in can answer. And that's what we're left with. 44.com waiver wire. Thank you everyone for joining. More updates coming Tuesday morning and through the evening. And we'll be back in the Discord chat. Use the promo code DAGO10 for 10% off your 444 sub. Until then, good luck everyone. We will see you in the streets.